very proud to say that we finally got justice for Ahmad on a federal level. February 23rd marks Ahmad Arbery Day, the 25-year-old black king who was murdered during a racially motivated hate crime on this very day back in 2020. Now, for a third year, lawmakers, community activists, and family members joined together to celebrate the life of a promising young man and many others like him. Hey, soulmates, welcome to the conversation on this Thursday, February 23rd. We are talking about National Ahmaud Arbery Day and what the FBI did during BLM protests that has lawmakers upset. I want to welcome you again to Fox Souls Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm New Cordelia Corte, plus the new program to help locate missing black women and girls and the teachers who are making headlines for mocking Florida's decision to remove certain black literature. They're the stories that impact our people. It is our news, our views, and of course, our voice. So, topping the conversation today, this year, a 2.2 mile run will honor the memory of Ahmaud Arbery and the verdict that put his killers behind bars. In fact, several Georgia state lawmakers will join in on the annual run, marking today as three years since his death. Now, the distance recognizes the date Arbery was jogging through the Santilla Shores neighborhood of Brunswick near Georgia's coast back on February 23rd, 2020. Scott was among the Georgia legislators who also introduced the House Resolution 688 last year, which solidified the date as Ahmaud Arbery Day. Last year, the Ahmaud Arbery Foundation announced it will offer uh, six $3,000 scholarships to seniors from Arbery's high school. And, you know, I can't believe it's already Nicordelai been three years. I was in Augusta, Georgia when this story broke. It's about two counties over from uh, Glenn County. Uh, I was in Richmond County. This happened in Glenn County in the Brunswick uh, area. And uh, I remember the fallout being very damaging for the uh, young folks in, in our newsroom. Um, the reporters were very young. The editors were very young. The photogs, the camera people were very young. And it just hit them so hard. I remember one particular reporter, uh, Sydney Moore, it's a young lady, uh, and she was tasked to um, find an inside story. She collected a group of very young black men who were about the same age as Ahmaud Arbery, who were from the very different uh, communities in between Augusta and, and Brunswick. And she filed a, a report and and the young men were just in tears saying they were avid runners. And at this point, their families, their girlfriends, their wives did not want them to run anymore. That's how how much uh, Ahmaud Arbery's story impacted them. Yeah, it really it really shook the conscience of uh, our communities across the country. Uh, there were a number of folks who committed to acts of solidarity running 2.2 miles in honor of Ahmad Arbery. And, you know, just the fact that this young king, this young black man was doing something as simple as jogging, Take something that jog. so many of us do. And he was quite frankly hunted. He was hunted uh, by folks uh, that didn't think that he deserved to live. Uh, and to make matters worse, it looked like uh, the folks that hunted him uh, were shielded by the then district attorney uh, who uh, is being held to account. You know, the, mm -hmm. the fact that a, a district attorney is now being, um, you know, held accountable and uh, there is not just an active investigation, but there's a court case uh, that is underway uh, to hold them accountable. That is, um, 
uh, a modicum of, of, of the justice that we all hope to see in a system uh, that, uh, you know, really renders our lives, our life meaningless under the law. Yeah, I, I remember a lot of folks that, that we were able to talk to on the street saying, you know, shot down like an animal. Yeah. Uh, it was just uh, disgraceful once you saw that video. And uh, let me tell you just the, the hurt and the anger in that community at the time. Um, very much reminiscent of, of how things were later on when we came into the George Floyd situation, the same kind of anger uh, and outrage. And but, it just kept going that year, but the year of 2020. But Courtney, even worse than an animal. I mean, you know, you look at the treatment that Michael Vick got, you know, for, you know, his, you know, abuse of animals and, and the way he was he was dealing with uh, uh, with with the dogs. Uh, you look at the effect that 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 case had in terms of public consciousness compared to Ahmaud Arbery. We have ways to go. Mm -hmm. uh, moving along, a new investigative podcast called Alphabet Boys has revealed that the FBI paid a felon to infiltrate Denver's Black Lives Matter protest in 2020. It's being alleged that Michael Adam Windecker II was paid to target black activists and coerce them into joining a plot to assassinate Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser. After the release of Alphabet Boys, Democratic Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon publicly condemned the FBI's actions against BLM activists. Uh, and in that statement from Senator Wyden, he said, quotes, if the allegations in Mr. Aronson's podcast are true, the FBI's use of informant to spy on First Amendment protected activities and stoke violence at peaceful protesters is outrageous and it's a, an abuse of law enforcement resources and authority. I couldn't agree with, with Senator Wyden uh, more. And this is a part of what, you know, the movement for police reform has been calling for. They've mm -hmm. said that law enforcement is under uh, is out of control. So whether we're talking about local law enforcement or we're talking about uh, agencies like the FBI, we really need Congress to act. And that is why today, a day like today, Ahmaud Arbery, because, you know, you have uh, that huge um, 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 platform, if you will, that mantle. But then there's so much that falls up under that umbrella and police accountability uh, is a big conversation today as we mark uh, Ahmad's uh, day and, and we celebrate his life. And this is why politicians are coming together. Uh, this is why that push must continue. Um, his family is in the headlines today saying, hey, uh, we cannot forget that th this is not over. Uh, and, and we continue to celebrate Ahmad's life and we continue to push for uh, police accountability. And I think it's all intertwined uh, within this story and the conversation we just previously had surrounding Ahmad Arbery Day, uh, it's a it's a it's a never-ending conversation. It's it's like one thought with a lot of different elements, and there's so much to address. There's so much to attack. Uh, it, 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 you can get lost in the sauce, and so that's why we have to make things very clear uh, and make sure that we stay on code with with the results that we want to see happen, with the with the results that we want to see yielded by way of these conversations and these pushes. And speaking of results, just as we had to put pressure. Uh, on the system to deliver some modicum of justice for Ahmad Arbery's family. Mm -hmm. We're having to put the same pressure on the same system to deliver justice for Tyree Nichols' family and Keenan Anderson's family and too many families out there. Indeed. All right, the Minnesota House has passed a bill to create an office of missing and murdered black women and girls, the first of its kind in the country. Now, the push to create a new office followed a state report from the Missing and Murdered African American Task Force that found 
found black women are nearly three times more likely to be murdered than white women in Minnesota. In the United States, there are more than 60,000 estimated missing black women in Minnesota, black women make up 7% of the population, but 40% of the domestic violence victims. Uh, big thumbs up for Minnesota, Nicola. I'm hoping this uh, catches fire uh, and every state uh, consider legislation such as this, especially uh, how we are continued to be grossly underrepresented when it comes to our missing, when it comes to those, you know, our loved ones uh, who we can't find. Um, there's just been this this under the radar kind of um, approach mm -hmm. as to you know when these stories uh, break, why they're covered, when they're not covered. Uh, and uh, I, I agree with Minnesota, and I'm hoping these other states pay attention to what uh, Minnesota is trying to push, well, has pushed forward. Yeah, and I think sometimes we have a warped idea of who missing children are. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think oftentimes we think of them as not being black kids. And 337,000 missing kids are black kids. 37% of missing children are black kids. And so for people out there that may think that missing kids, oh, that's not a black issue, that doesn't happen a lot in our community, it happens more than you think. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Amber Alerts are rare. They're, they, you know, it's, it's hard to, to meet the criteria to, mm -hmm. to, to get an Amber Alert, but you know, 37% uh, of Amber Alerts were for black kids, right? And so, uh, you know, there is so much more we have to do on this front, and, and I really look forward us continuing to keep our eye and to do even more to raise consciousness around missing black and this kids, is a question of uh, humanity. particularly women and girls. This is a question of humanity versus, you know, what's going to get the eyeballs on your on your newscast. You know, is it is it is it this story or that story? This is about a missing child. And it's also about worth. You know, how how those who are responsible uh, of putting these stories out or not, how they deem uh, uh, children of color, black uh, children in particular, black missing folks in particular, how worthy uh, they deem us or not. So I think it's a matter of humanity as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I yeah. think you're right. Well, moving along from Minnesota to Alabama, where there are newly released recordings of Stephen Reed, Montgomery's first black mayor, where he's heard in a profanity-laced rant. Now the recordings are allegedly three years old and was leaked online this week on a site called Montgomery Deserves Better. On the recordings, Reed can be heard saying that he doesn't need the black vote and in fact doesn't need to do anything systematically and he will still win. Mayor Reed says these recordings are being used as an extortion attempt. Well, whether you agree with his rant or not, he does bring up the question as to, you know, when you have these major cities or smaller towns that are black as far as, you know, police department leadership, uh, the board of education, utilities, even the mayor office may be uh, pretty much black. Um, how much power, you know, do they really have? Who is really uh, running uh, these cities? Who is really calling the shots? Who's really holding the cards when it comes down to the policy, when it comes down to the money, when it comes down to, you know, what folks want for those individual cities and communities. So he brings up a, 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 a great point, whether you agree with the rant or not, I think he brings up a great point as to what, what does that black representation really mean to have a black mayor in a seat or to have a black police chief? What does it really mean? How much worth does it really hold when it comes to uh, a trickle down effect as to what we needed to do as black people who are living in these communities? Yeah. Does it really mean anything? Yeah, well, I mean, well, to me, it's very clear you know, that mayors nor any elected official doesn't have absolute 
power. True. And that's part of what, you know, he's saying sort of inartfully is that he doesn't have absolute power. And the question is how then, much but, power they really do have. And, and, and another very important question is, well, so what does it look like to build black power mm -hmm. in Montgomery, mm -hmm. right? Well, where, where is that conversation happening? Uh, and so we'll continue to keep our, our eye on this. But uh, uh, Mayor Reed, we invite you to come on Fox News Black Report to share more about, yeah. well, what did you really have, mean? Have a rant with us. <laughs> All right, let's go to Florida now where a teacher is in hot water for a recent online post. His name is Ethan Hooper, and he's a sixth grade language arts teacher at Howard Middle School who decided to mock Florida's book ban. He has been placed on leave after his viral TikTok video showed him confiscating books from students and showing white students acting as servants to black classmates. Is it, uh, Nikodalai, we were debating a little bit, is it is it a mocking, you think? Uh, is, it, is it inappropriate, you think? I mean, is, is it, it a demonstration? Is it or, or role is, reversal? Or is it perhaps a simulation, which happens in classrooms across the country all the time? Uh, you know, was this teacher sort of seizing this as, as a teachable moment mm. uh, for students? Uh, not intended to shame anyone or to make light of anything, but, you know, to educate people, to put folks uh, in the shoes of somebody else, to develop a sense of empathy uh, in the classroom. And so, uh, you know, uh, that was was my sense when I read the story, you know, but who knows for sure if not, uh, if whether or not the teacher had intended that, but it happens all the time. I've done simulations in my classroom before. Mm -hmm. You know, there's an exercise called the privilege walk uh, that I do uh, with my students. And at times, sometimes there are students that end up in tears mm. uh, by the time we finish that exercise. It's not intended to make anybody feel bad, but it's intended to develop some self-awareness and some empathy. So a reenactment, a simulation, the question is, was it inappropriate or not? Was it offensive or not? So that's where the real debate comes in. For me, it wasn't. Uh, I don't mind role reversal. So maybe somebody outside of the experience can get a hands-on feel of what it feels like. Yeah, yeah, and, and the one thing we just gotta keep in mind is, you know, what is grade appro appropriate, what is age appropriate, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, assuming that this was in the curriculum. And within uh, context. You know, uh, I'm, 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 I'm almost sure uh, that uh, uh, the powers that be at that school were not surprised that this happened, but mm -hmm. we'll continue to keep our eye on that. Well, uh, we all know uh, that the uh, power of black Twitter from finding long lost loved ones to changing the atmosphere of our nation is pretty powerful. Uh, so here's three hashtags that are being credited for changing America. The hashtags are featured in the new documentary called Black Twitter, the Twitterverse that changed a generation. And they are Black Lives Matter, which started in 2013 following the death of Trayvon Martin, Oscar So White, which broke the internet on the morning of January 15, 2015, following the Oscar nominations, and lastly, Mute R. Kelly, which became popular in 2017 and that's still being echoed today due to his ongoing sexual assault trials. Uh, I just can't wait until this documentary, um, you know, is released and, and gives like a full on view and perspective of black Twitter and how vital and important and crucial it has been. That's why we were paying so much attention to old boy. And
and, and what he planned to, to do with Twitter because we know uh, black Twitter has been a, a, a nucleus, uh, a, a, a system in and of itself that I feel is the heartbeat of Twitter. So let's take it back to 2009, young lady by the name of Ashley Witherspoon, who was an assistant to uh, Adrian Belon, mm -hmm. uh, Belon, th uh, three, 3W, 3LW, she was on The Real. Uh -huh. and, and she was just messing around with her girlfriends and playing, and she put out a hashtag back in 2009 that says, you know you black win. And that is, that is, that is when Twitter was, was born, and we know uh, what it has led, led to now and the importance of it. I just want it to continue to be documented and recognized for being the force that it is. Yeah, and, and not undervalued or, or undercut. Right. You know, I know we've reported on the fact that uh, Twitter is now embracing sort of the subscription model, mm -hmm. and if you want to get a blue check, you got to pay for it. And I just sort of wonder, you know, how that may negatively impact our voice when it comes to black Twitter, but policy change, culture change, uh, narrative change. Uh, we, we owe black Twitter a great debt, mm -hmm. you know, for playing an outsized role in, in helping to enable that to happen in That's our right. country. And, and it's so. funny and it's entertaining. Anytime something's going on in the world, go to black Twitter, honey, you will get a cup full and then some. That's Your right. cup will run it over. Well, <laughs> well, coming up, a controversial display mm. at a Georgia supermarket featuring a famous rapper's wine label sparks a heated debate. They better leave the dog father alone. We'll tell you what happened to the Black History Gesture next on Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back. Well, a recent study published in the Journal of General Internal Medicine has found that black and Hispanic patients are more likely to develop lasting symptoms following a COVID-19 diagnosis. Hmm. Now, the study funded by the National Institutes of Health identified several symptoms that were more common among these populations, including black patients having a higher likelihood of developing blood clots in the lungs or of diagnosed with diabetes after COVID-19. Now, although it is unclear why there are uh, differing effects or after effects, I should say, of COVID-19 in ethnic or racial groups, authors of the study say identifying potential racial and ethnic disparities in long COVID is an important step towards making sure we have an equitable response to the long-term consequences of coronavirus infection. Living God Church is among 11 primarily black churches in the Cincinnati area that have joined a voluntary effort to ensure that their members recognize that overdose deaths from fentanyl are a serious threat to their community and their families. Overdose deaths among black people are spiraling in Hamilton County, reflecting a nationwide shift in the opioid epidemic and demanding new local strategies to try to stop the dying. In comparison with the nearly 200% jump among black residents here, white people and others saw a 7% increase in an overdose deaths in Hamilton County during the same period. Now still, this surge may be no match for volunteers of the African-American Engagement work group. They've recruited pastors at churches in Cincinnati, mostly black neighborhoods, to engage their congregants and are being, uh, they're beginning to deliver results. Uh, and really a shout out to the African-American Engagement uh, Working Group, uh, their quick response team, 
their quick response team uh, had uh, 500, almost 600 black people that were referred to their, uh, their outreach team. Uh, and uh, this is tremendous because just in a couple years, mm -hmm. you know, they've gone from zero to 80 in five seconds. And, you know, there are a lot of people, you know, that, uh, you know, recognize that this is an issue, particularly among white folks. But in terms of black folks, uh, folks have been uh, very slow to give us the resources that we need to address uh, the opioid epidemic That's in black communities. That's what I was going to say. That's what intrigues me about this particular story. Um, it'll be interesting to see how stories, how efforts like this uh, continue to change the narrative when it comes to opioid uh, addiction and overdoses. It has always been seen as a white problem, which is why you got a lot of uh, criticism from the black community uh, because because being deemed as a white problem, there was more resources, there was more forgiveness, there was more leniency uh, in the justice system, and you know we we were labeled as as the crack folks, and and we didn't get much resources when when crack uh, was ravishing our communities, mm -hmm. our streets, our, our parents, our kids, what have you. Uh, there was not much uh, grace. Uh, there wasn't a lot of leniency. There wasn't a lot of care and concern. So let's just be you know flat out with that. So it'll be interesting to see how now that this opioid situation is beginning to affect uh, people of color, uh, will, will the argument and, and will the um, effort uh, to rid this problem uh, stay, stay as adamant and stay as forceful as, it, as it's been uh, being deemed a, a white issue? Yeah, yeah, we've got some work to do. Indeed, sleep is an essential aspect of human life and it is crucial for overall health and well-being. However, according to research, blacks don't enjoy equal access to quality sleep. You don't say. It's just it's, it's hard being black in America. Sometimes we lose sleep. They're killing us. They're laying us off. It's hard, because, it's hard because we got to stay woke. Yeah, there we go. According to a Northwestern University School of Medicine expert on racial disparities in cardiovascular disease, national data indicates that uh, black adults have poorer sleep. Researchers want to address disparities because lack of sleep is associated with some of the leading causes of death, including uh, cardiovascular disease. We must also consider that a lot of black Americans live in areas that are more populated with traffic, construction factories, or airports, uh, linking these factors to poor sleep as well. I think you just hit it on the head. It's, <laughs> it's hard, you know, some, you know, being black in America, you gotta stay you gotta woke, stay and so woke. therefore you don't get a lot of sleep. Yeah. I think that's that's the that's the alpha and the omega of this particular and this is point. This isn't just anecdotal. I mean, you know, there are researchers that have have looked at the effect of weathering, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's what they call the weathering effect. You know, uh, the effect that that racial bias uh, and that racial bigotry has on us over mm -hmm. a period of time. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of this ties back to you know sort of cardiovascular related issues, mm -hmm. right? And you know, I've been you know uh, very candid about some of the cardiovascular related issues that exist in my family mm -hmm. on both sides, right? Uh, and, you know, just reading this article made me wonder, hmm, I wonder if, you know, sleep-related issues, you know, um, have also existed on both sides of the family. And so it's just another reminder to do the best you can to get some rest. But it, but it can also just be as, as simple as not feeling comfortable in your own home. We all know the story of how we were brought over here, uh, you know, put into, forced into slavery, uh, and how, you know, we're here and, we, and we've been here, so this is our home. But there's, 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 there's always this level of uncomfortability in regards to what we still have to continue uh, to deal with. 
with because we, we, we don't feel comfortable. We, you know, our, our history is always questioned. Our hair is questioned. Our bodies have been put in question. So it's, it's, a, it's also a matter of just not being able to relax. A part of being able to sleep and get a good rest mm -hmm. is to first to be able to relax yourself. Black folks can't relax. We'd be all dead, <laughs> physically, mentally, spiritually, if we relax. I think that has a lot to do with it, too. You just cannot let up. Yeah, and we can't give short shrift to, to you know, the need to pay attention to our sleeping patterns. I mean, from a mental health standpoint, how often have we heard of stories of folks that went long periods of time without getting rest and mm -hmm. may have harmed others or harmed themselves? And mm -hmm. so, you know, we've got to do better uh, in terms of, of, of being in optimum health from the neck up and the neck down. Mm -hmm. uh, well, moving along, the history of Aunt Jemima is one tied to racist mammy tropes. And in June 2020, Quaker Oats announced that it would be retiring the Aunt Jemima brand and logo, acknowledging that the character was based on a racist stereotype. In spite of Quaker Oats' attempt to right this wrong in recent years, this week Aunt Jemima became a hot topic on social media after Ben Stein, actor and former host of Win Ben Stein's Money, posted a video saying he missed seeing the caricature of the syrup bottle. Let's take a look. Do something which I sometimes do, which is to make breakfast for dinner. Aunt Jemima yummy pancake syrup. Now this used to show a large African-American woman chef, but because of the inherent racism of Americans' corporate culture, they decided to make it a white person or maybe no person at all. But I prefer it when it's a black person showing their incredible skill at in making pancakes. The inherent racism of corporate culture, well, you know, I, I think uh, Ben Stein's Google might not have worked so well because uh, if he would have taken the time to research this, he would have found out that the original Aunt Jemima character was based on a minstrel show called Old Aunt Jemima, oh, who was performed by white actors mm -hmm. in blackface. Yep. And so, you know, I'm with D.L. Hughley and, uh, <laughs> uh, and so many of, of uh, all of our soulmates, you know, who have uh, responded to this on social calling Ben Stein out. You know, um, if we're going to call out some of the other folks, you know, that have demonstrated a lack of sensitivity, a lack of a disregard for history, uh, a lack of empathy and compassion, uh, then, you know, we need to add Ben Stein to the list. But there are also soulmates who say that they weren't offended by uh, Aunt Jemima. We might as well throw Uncle Ben in there to uh, the rice. I think it boils down to, you know, when the whole George Floyd uh, rush, if you will, came about and all the fallout and corporate America and white folks trying to make good on on um, all of the violations, the code violations of, you know, throughout history. And I think that they may have deemed Aunt Jemima and Ben, uh, Uncle Ben offensive uh, instead of there maybe just being some sort of kind of dialogue because there are black folks out there who feel that, you know, Uncle Ben and Aunt Jemima weren't necessarily offensive and they were used to seeing it on the shelves uh, as well. Now you have the, the uh, Pearl Milling Company uh, labeling, uh, it looks very different. So I just think the problem is a, a lack of communication, a lack of maybe a sit down. There were there were times, I know that's a 133 year history of Aunt Jemima being on, on, that, uh, on that cover or on that box, if you will. But there's been like a civil rights movement. There's been um, the Harlem Renaissance even before that. There's now Black, Black Lives Matter, where there should have been already a sit down to figure out what's going to be appropriate and what's not going to be appropriate instead of assuming, assuming what's going to be offensive to us or not. 
not. Yeah, but you know what? I think the operative to word. To be good the, on your the, 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 guilt. The operative word is history. Mm -hmm. The operative word is history, and you know, you, you can't run away from the history. I mean, this is why folks are making such a big deal mm -hmm. about teaching black history in schools, advanced placement black history in schools. If more people were steeped in the history of Aunt Jemima, then I think more people would be absolutely outraged, you know, by this. But you got to talk to the people who you're saying it offends, so you can move move forward pro uh, properly. <laughs> How are you not going to include us in the conversation about what you think offends us? So. Here we go. Speaking of history, the Black History Month display at a supermarket in Georgia featuring Snoop Dogg's popular 19 Crimes wine was taken down after several customer complaints. Now, the display was in full view upon entrance near the produce section. Johnny Jones, customer and former NAACP chapter president, called this display, quote, offensive and has nothing to do with black history. Proud of drinking wine? No, Jones said, we're proud of the Tuskegee Airmen whose shoulders I stand on. That's his quote there. Now, according to Jones, next to the display was a board reading celebrating Black History Month with a clenched fist accompanied with uh, phrases like dream like Martin and say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. You know, listen. Uh, I, I think there are there's room for plenty of perspectives here. Uh, I think sometimes people forget uh, that you know black history makers come in all different uh, shapes and sizes and forms, mm -hmm. right? And for people that may be a little less steeped in uh, the the history of the wine industry, it has not been a, an industry you know that has welcomed black folks with open arms. Mm -hmm. And so you know the fact that Snoop Dogg is not just the face of, but has part ownership in in you know, this this wine company, uh, that is a demonstration of progress. It may and, and it may not be in the same form as Martin Luther King or you know some of the folks that Mr. Jones mentioned, uh, of which shoulders we all stand on. Mm -hmm. But we can't diminish uh, uh, the the celebration, you know, of Snoop Dogg. This is a grocery store. You know, listen, you know, uh, I've been in the wine shops recently and I've seen them, you know, pull out their black owned brands and mm -hmm. put them, you know, on display in the front. And so I actually didn't see anything wrong with Snoop Dogg's uh, wine being in plain view at the Kroger store in Georgia. Listen, can we all, what did Rodney uh, King say? <laughs> can we can, all can, just bless get along? Bless so can we all just, not even just get along, can we just talk? Because if, if black folks were in the marketing uh, uh, meetings, before they went to task to put these uh, displays up, uh, maybe the message wouldn't have been either mixed or maybe it wouldn't have been misconstrued or, or maybe it would have been clear as to what they were trying to do. Maybe you want to separate messages, one in the front of the store and one in the back of the store. But if we would just, if you would just include us in on the conversation, you wouldn't have to back paddle like you have. So well, we're going to include you in on the conversation. Yeah, man, like <laughs> coming up next. You better call us. The Motown Museum has been undergoing a huge expansion and now they've reopened open for tours. Yeah, we'll take you there for a closer look when we come back. You're watching Foxo's Black Report, Tango Town Museum.
We're still going at it during the commercial, <laughs> right? <laughs> All is black today. This wasn't planned, by the way. Well, you know, yeah. well, but you know, Ahmaud Arbery Day. You know, yeah. I think this is a very somber day for yeah. our communities, and so I think we were feeling that energetically, energetically this morning, even before we walked into the station. We want to welcome you back to Fox Hills Black Report, the place for our news, our views, and our voice. The Crown Act is something we've talked about a great deal here on the Black Report. That's right. The Crown Act stands for Create a Respectful and Open World for Natural hair and there's a push in Michigan to make sure it passes. That's Fox right. 2's Ingrid Kelly has the story. At this storefront on the Avenue of Fashion in Detroit, natural hair is a way of life. We get our hair braided, we lock our hair, we twist our hair. But even this stylist admits he believes he pays a hefty price for how he chooses to style his hair. You discriminate me because of how I wear my hair. You don't know me at all. But a group of state lawmakers are advocating for change. On Tuesday, a press conference was held to highlight the introduction of the Crown Act. I am pleased to report that the Crown Act has passed uh, in over 20 states, and we hope to have Michigan be the 21st state to finally end hair discrimination. Over the last few years, we have introduced, we've reintroduced uh, with no action from the legislature. The Crown and Crown Act stands for create a respectful and open world for natural hair. And the act works to ensure protection against discrimination by extending statutory protection to hair texture and protective styles such as braids in the workplace and in public schools. And these lawmakers say black women often face the most backlash. After having several conversations with the news director about improving my skills, he very directly said, you won't get a job in TV with your hair like that. Those who push for natural hair say it's beneficial in many ways and should be respected. Gives people hair from being processed and permed and pressed and broken down to have it growing to be naturally strong and healthy. Lawmakers say some parts of Michigan like Detroit and Oakland County have adopted the Crown Act in the absence of legislative leadership. But these lawmakers say it's time for all of Michigan to get on board. The time is is now, given that we finally have a, a Democratic majority that actually listens to the will of the people. I hope that some of our uh, Republican colleagues can get on board, um, but we're going to move forward regardless. In Detroit, Ingrid Kelly, Fox 2 News. Wow, bring, it takes me down memory lane. I remember being in journalism school at mm -hmm. USC, and um, I remember, you know, being encouraged to shave uh, because, you know, the message was that if you had a beard, you probably weren't going to get hired uh, in this industry. And here we are, many years later, and I'm sitting here as bearded as I can be. Yeah, but right. But 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 in, in too many places across the country and around the world whether you have a beard or a natural hairstyle, right? That holds people back and it also messes with people's money because, you know, we wonder where this racial wealth gap comes from. This is a part of how it happens, right? When, you know, there are silly uh, rules that people make up uh, or there's a lack of uh, le uh, legislative protection, you know, that says that you can be your whole self when you go to work, including wearing your natural hair, or in my case, uh, wearing your natural hair on your face. Yeah, but there's a bit of a divide because, uh, you know, as a black woman, I'm gonna get more heavily ridiculed about my hair than you are as a man 
wearing a beard or not. I just think, you know, that that weight comes down very heavy uh, on black women in particular, regardless of how you choose to wear your hair. If I can, you know, pinpoint any positive in the pandemic, it was we couldn't get to our stylist. So, uh, you know, news directors, as, as you heard them alluded to in that package, uh, allowed for, if you will, us to just come to work as 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 we are, as we were, if you will. And I think that spawned a lot of uh, natural uh, hair care uh, conversations and it was a lot more accepted, whether it was braids, whether it was your nat natural curly texture. Um, and, and regardless of how you choose to wear it, you know, leave my hair alone. It's just my hair, you know, whether it's a protective hairstyle with braids up under it, I could pull this thing back and y'all can get, I can get real, real with you, but leave leave it alone let let my talent speak for itself uh, and, and allow me to be who I am you know whether it's a it's a it's a professional a black professional and all the uniqueness and beauty that comes along with that J just just leave it alone and I think that's and a big, let me that, be. but that's a big part of what this is about it's it's not just the ridicule that folks have to endure mm -hmm. but it's it's this narrow definition of what is professionalism look like mm -hmm. on your head or mm -hmm. in my case on your face but mm -hmm. moving on trends are showing a historic drought in parts of Africa. A newly released Climate Center report says the drought is worse than it was during 2011 when at least a quarter million people died. Below normal rainfall is expected in the rainy season over the next three months. The IGAD Climate Prediction and Application Center stated, quote, this could be the sixth failed consecutive rainfall season in the region that includes Somalia, Ethiopia, and Kenya. Uh, this is according to the center. Uh, the drought, the longest on record in Somalia, has lasted almost three years. Tens of thousands of people are said to have died. More than a million people have been displaced in Somalia alone. Let's move on to Haiti and Portugal, where they uh, have qualified for the Women's World Cup Finals for the first time. After winning playoff matches this week in New Zealand, they have taken two of the last three places at the World Cup, which will be decided uh, the 10-team uh, intercontinental playoff in New Zealand. The ninth edition of the World's Women's Cup will take place from July 20th through August 20th across 10 stadiums in Australia and New Zealand, six in Australia and four in New Zealand. After months of construction, the Motown Museum in Detroit is opening its doors for guests. Starting today, you can get a first look at some of the new upgrades. Fox 2's Erica Francis in Detroit with a first look. Well, this is my first time at the Motown Museum. Certainly will not be the last because I am so thrilled by all of the history and all of the amazing people that stepped foot in this very room. I've got a very important person here. This is the CEO and chairman of the Motown Museum. You guys were closed for a couple months. You're you're going through this expansion project, yeah. reopening today to yes. the public. How exciting. It's super exciting. I mean, this is what we do. Mm -hmm. So if you ask my team, you know, we've been waiting for this this moment to welcome the community back into this space. So it's very, very exciting for us. Talk to me a little bit more about this expansion project. I know you already finished phase one, phase two, and now we're moving into phase three. We're moving into the final phase of expansion. So the expansion will literally create a campus that celebrates the great legacy of Motown all around this special little space that we're standing, which is in Studio A at Hitsville, USA. 
What about this uh, new plaza outside? How fun in the summer that is going to be perfect. So that's when you've got to come back. And I will. Because <laughs> on, in, on August 8th, we opened phases one and two. Okay. Hitsville Next, which is really like our little academy on the campus. Um, it's a creative hub for our emerging artists, emerging entrepreneurs. And then there's that magical plaza. And the plaza is just a beautiful space. Sit on the park benches, listen to Motown music. People dance, they sing, and it's just a wonderful way to activate the community. And that's really what Detroit is all about. I love that. Talk to me about the draw. What brings people here? If somebody's watching this segment and they're thinking to themselves, man, I've never been there, but why should they come here? It's Motown is this magical space where we're standing studio a when you think of the music that came from this space everything motown created Uh from 1959 to 1972 was in this space artists like stevie wonder diana ross and the supremes the four tops temptations marvin Gaye, they all got their start right here where you're standing and so you can't get this anywhere else in the world detroit's very very fortunate Uh to be able to call this space um home and vice Town to be home in Detroit. So it's just a special space, and there's there's something about the nostalgia. Um, if you grew up in this area, this reminds you of those best childhood memories. And if you if you didn't grow up in it, there's an inspiration that you get here that you just can't get anywhere else. Wow, you seriously nailed it. And how lucky are we, right? Absolutely. Okay, so the tours start again today. Tours start again today, and I will tell you, you know, as much as we've been waiting on the community, they've been waiting on us. Ah. We are already sold out all morning long um, and still have a couple spaces left this afternoon. All right. And how do people get tickets? So it's simple. You can go online on MotownMuseum.org and order your tickets. Um, You can take a chance and come down, but I wouldn't recommend that when the demand is so high. Oh, my goodness. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me out here. This is truly fabulous. It really is. We are reporting from the Motown Museum in downtown Detroit. Erica Francis, Fox 2 News. Uh, Thanks, Erica, for the full rundown on this Motown story and much more. You can access Fox Soul's video on demand with any of our streaming partners. And don't forget Soulmates to download the Fox Soul app. It is absolutely free. And being a native Detroiter, it's it's good to see uh, stories like this because it reminds you of how unique of a city uh, that you that you come from and all of this, this talent, this uh, cornucopia of talent. Mm -hmm. And but it's also like but you know what? You know, the Motown folks grew up with my parents. I went to school with Motown kids, so it's also like I'm a part of that story, too. Well, you know, know? I'm I'm just pleased to be here in Detroit at a time where they are getting ready to reveal mm-hmm. uh, sort of the next iteration of the Motown yeah. Museum. You know I'm going to be there to check I know, it out. But Road trip. I know, I know, but if you're, if, you're, if you're from here, you know somebody who knows somebody, you might even be related to a, to a Motown artist. So it's just a great feeling to see the worldwide impact and how important Detroit is when you talk about the landscape of black music. That's there right. There be no music That's without right. It. That's right. Well, yeah. up next, the Oscar slap that is still That's being felt still around the world. They still talking about this slap. <laughs> It has birthed a new emergency system for the award show, how the Academy is putting together a crisis team in response to last year's incident between Will Smith and Chris Rock. We'll be right back. Why are they so long? Like, what? Well, I mean, the Oscars is right around the corner.
Soulmates, you're watching Foxhole's Whack Report. It's our news, our views, and our voice. It's Lights, Camera, Crisis. Mm. After Will Smith slapped Chris Rock on stage at last year's Oscars, the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences has formed a crisis <laughs> team. Can you believe that? To handle unexpected incidents. A little bit too late, right, to me. Uh, the CEO said the team is prepared for anything with crisis plans in place to uh, quickly deliver a statement. Smith is banned from Academy events, including the Oscars for 10 years. In a recent YouTube video, he apologized to Rock. So let's hope this year's Oscars uh, stick to the script. And we just talked about this the other day, how it's just so unfortunate because I have a list of the movies I need to catch up on. Mm -hmm. King Richard was one of them. I yeah. finally did it over the weekend. His performance was amazing. And I hate that that slap, I hate that that decision in that moment uh, caused for um, that moment, uh, that historic moment, to just be obliterated by this slap because he really did an excellent job as uh, the Williams uh, dad. He, he was really, really great in that movie. And it's just unfortunate. Shame on him. Ten years? You know, what does that really... Eh, yeah. What does yeah. that really solve? What does that really do? What does that really say? I feel like this committee should have been formed immediately and probably handled uh, much better. I don't think, uh, as far as I know, Chris Rock has not accepted an apology. So this is still a personal thing, sounds like, between them. And and I don't know if there's much left for the Oscars to try to clean up behind it. It's it's kind of like a little too little too little too late. I mean, I, so I would have thought that in the past, in, within the past year, we might have seen. Uh, Will Smith and Chris Rock sort of make up. Like sit down um, with somebody? You know, I think that could be, I still believe that that can be a powerful demonstration for uh, uh, black men uh, and men uh, across the country and around the world in terms of, you know, how we can uh, settle our disputes, mm. um, you know, how we can do it with integrity and with compassion and with love um, as opposed to doing it with violence because even though you know Will Smith used his hand and not a gun it's still violent. But you can't right? have it both ways you can't Will Smith can't be this kumbaya person and then exert such violence and then you can't expect Chris Rock to just come into this kumbaya, kumbaya no, I energy. Don't I, I don't mean, expect it. Somebody don't, somebody I sounds like Chris is not ready and, I, and they ain't here I for it. I don't expect it I don't expect it but I'm hoping for it I'm praying for it because I think that could be a really powerful example you know, for men, particularly black men, you know, uh, across the country and around the world to see these two role models, these yeah. two uh, really well-respected uh, uh, entertainers, you know, sort of come together, you know, and work through their differences in a constructive way. You know, I think restorative justice may still be possible. Um, obviously, there's some healing that needs to happen. Um, and so I'm going to hold out hope. I'm going to do what Reverend Jesse Jackson encourages us to do. Keep hope alive. I'm keeping hope alive. Will, Chris, if you're listening, I'm keeping hope alive. Live by the sword, die by the sword. Should have kept his hands to himself. Rock ain't ready for it. Moving along, Eric R. Holder Jr. has been sentenced to 60 years to life for the murder of rapper Nipsey Hussle. Now, some fans speculate that the judge chose 60 years as a nod to Hussle's affiliation with the Rolling 60s Crips in Los Angeles. Uh, Hussle was known for his community work and various gangs came together in response to his death. The murder was the result of an argument between Holder and Hustle who knew each other for years as members of the same gang. 
All right, so mates, have you heard about the new hip hop fashion exhibit at the museum uh, at the uh, FIT? It's called Fresh, Fly and Fabulous, 50 Years of Hip Hop Style. And it explores the history of hip hop fashion from the streets to the runway. Now the uh, ex exhibition features over 100 iconic garments and accessories that highlight key moments in hip hop history. It even honors legendary designers like Harlem's own Dapper Dan <laughs> with, I haven't heard that name in a while, uh, who helped bridge the gap between streetwear and luxury fashion. In a recent interview, he talked about how his boutique in the 80s drew in celebs like LL Cool J and Salt and Peppa. And let me tell you, this is a hip hop culture has always been and will always continue to be uh, on the forefront of culture itself, uh, American culture. I mean, if you just look at, at, at the worldwide impact of, of hip hop uh, culture, and then you got rap music and then you have hip hop and, and hip hop's culture. When you have um, Asian kids perming their hair to get afros so they can look more like their favorite hip hop artists from over here uh, in the States, that shows you the impact. And I clearly remember being first generation hip hop when they thought this thing was a fad and, and they thought it wasn't gonna stick around and it was just the worst thing ever. I felt at the time, regardless of how uh, rogue some of those comments, yeah. uh, some of those uh, lyrics rather were, it was a reflection of our life. It was a reflection of what we were seeing, feeling, experiencing, and I always knew it was it was the real deal. You know, Still and, is. And, and very similar to you know Motown has had you know mm -hmm. the same uh, influence. Rock mm -hmm. and roll has had the same influence, and so this is sort of uh, the next iteration of all of that and more. And mm -hmm. so, uh, moving along, Disney Plus has a new series called Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, featuring Diamond White as the first black teen superheroine. White plays Lunel, Lunella Lafayette and says that her character teaches kids about science and also represents the idea of beauty and brains. The show is described as all-inclusive and already renewed for a second season. White hopes that her role will encourage young black girls to embrace their intelligence and feel represented on the screen. And we all know when young girls grow up, they become adults. And former child stars Camille Winbush and Dee Dee Davis from the Bernie Mac show are facing criticism on social media for their participation on the adult platform OnlyFans. Don't act like you don't know. Leaked photos of the two showing more skin cause mixed reactions with some fans understanding that they are grown women while others express disappointment. Winbush clapped back at the haters on Twitter defending her right to live her life as an adult. While on the show, you may remember Winbush played Vanessa, uh, Bernie Mac's elder niece, and then Davis played Brianna, who he affectionately called baby girl. That was Mac's younger niece. And I think here you know, for me, these women are grown. They can do what they want to do. I just think as fans and because these shows uh, are forever in syndication and we see them all day, every day, for some reason, we still think that those little girls are little girls in our heads and we don't realize that they do grow up. Mm -hmm. They do age out of these roles and they are adults. I mean, you have, you know, some of these child actors, they're, they're parents now, they're grandparents yeah. now. Like you got to get over it and realize that they, they've gone on with their lives 
lives, I just think syndication keeps keeps that image perpetuated in our heads, you know? Yeah, yeah. Think of people like Raven Simone and, and yeah. a little Rudy from The Cosby Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, coming up on The Black Report, we're celebrating black excellence. Say it ain't so. We'll tell you about uh, how Disney is collaborating with uh, black-owned businesses to create new merchandise when we come back. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. All this black we got on today. <laughs> Welcome back to Fox Soul's Black Report, the place for our news, our views, and our voice. Curl Cap becomes the first black-owned apparel company to offer authorized Disney merchandise for fans. Yep, the partnership features new apparel, beauty items, food, and beverage products, and toys. Curl Cap founder Brittany Sade is uh, one of the uh, black businesses partnering with Disney, making history as the first black-owned apparel company to have their own authorized Disney merchandise. I said it. Disney took notice of Sade's satin line backless curl caps and picked up the product selling over 100,000 curl caps so far congratulations go get uh, your curl cap go get your curl cap now mickey um, is a minute on many you mickey can wear one too but many gonna be wearing a curl cap i'm gonna get a beard cap <laughs> that's what I'm Whatever that's supposed to look like. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to forget today is Ahmad Arbery Day. Uh, take some time uh, to remember and send prayers to that family as they will always, always be in the healing process. I'm Courtney Hicks. And let's do everything we can to do something about it. I'm Nicole Cordelai Corte. Until next time, stay lifted.